Uh, Mark chapter 4, let's go ahead and start reading here in verse 35. It says, In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Alright, so this is the classic story of Jesus being on the boat of, on the Sea of Galilee and calming the storm with his uh, words. And no matter how many times you've read this story or heard this story, it's always good to be reminded of it again, because like the disciples, it seems like every time uh, we get into a storm, we do have a tendency to forget about the power and the authority and care of Jesus Christ for us, and our forgetfulness is often manifested in faithlessness in the situation. And so I want to come, I want to preach from this lesson here, or this passage here, but I want to come at it from a little bit different of an angle. And this morning I'm going to preach something that the Lord showed me through my personal Bible reading not too long ago, and the title of my sermon is Expanding your periapsis, expanding your periapsis. Now you're probably wondering, what exactly does that even mean? Well, the term is a mathematical, astronomical, generally term, a uh, uh, term that's used in astronomy, generally speaking. And essentially the term, just so you understand what the term periapsis means and where that's coming from, um, the, the general teaching that you get in the school books is that the Earth uh, orbits around the sun. You know, it's got this kind of oblong orbit, and the Earth orbits around the sun, and uh, our basically our entire uh, Milky Way galaxy, the Earth and the sun, and the Earth is going around the sun, and the whole Milky Way galaxy is spinning, and then the whole universe itself is spinning in a corkscrew in some indefinite direction at some ridiculous speeds. That's usually what's taught in school. And uh, this theory, as far as our galaxy is concerned, is called heliocentricity. Helio being sun, centricity being centric. The idea that the sun is the center and the earth goes around the sun and all the other planets go around the sun. That's what's generally taught. The other opposing theory is called geocentricity that claims uh, the sun is actually going around the earth and that the earth is the center of the galaxy or the universe, however you want to, however people teach it, and uh, everything else is going around the earth. That's geocentricity, geo, the earth being at the center and everything going around it. Heliocentricity, the sun at the center, everything going around it. All right? And uh, then there's, uh, you know, honestly, then there's the flat earth concept, and I'm going to just point out all three of them. The flat earth concept is essentially for more or less basically the sun and the moon are, are up, up around uh, the top of the dome and the earth is flat and these uh, heavenly bodies are you know going around in circles up in the dome. All right, so I find uh, the study of the universe very interesting, honestly. I love looking into all these things and finding out different facts and things about it and uh, Essentially, there are some very intelligent, very intelligent people, people a lot smarter than me, that uh, subscribe to all three theories, truthfully. And I find the subject very interesting, but it is beyond the scope of what I'll be getting into this morning. I basically just wanted to point that out because periapsis is the point in an orbit, 
periapsis is the point in an orbit where the thing is closest to the thing it is orbiting. Okay, so this would be the if there's an oblong orbit, the closest the point where these two bodies are the closest, that's called the periapsis. And then the farthest point away is the apoapsis. These are just uh, mathematical terms that are used, and essentially the closest point is periapsis, the farthest point is apoapsis. Now, um, apoapsis is the far away distant horizon, if you will, the farthest away horizon, and the opposite of horizon is periapsis. And that, hence, is the reason for my sermon title this morning, because I needed the antonym for horizon, and the only good antonym was periapsis. <laughs> so, you know, uh, basically, you know, in the, in the English language, we're familiar with the, the saying, you need to expand your horizons, right? Well, you need to expand your horizon, and by that you mean you need to broaden your thinking. You need to dream bigger. You need to realize your true potential. You know, you need to reach for the stars. You need to strive to obtain the grand and glorious things that are out of your reach. You know, that's how we use that term. And that's fine, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. It's just that sometimes the harsher realities of life can completely smother your ambitions, okay? You know, and if your focus is always on the horizon, your focus is always on the grandiose, the big sky out there, the big, the big dreams that you have, and your focus is always on out there, what happens is you can often easily miss the possibilities that are right here, right in front of you. And... You know, the question is, you know, does God have something for your life out there? Yeah, sure. He certainly does. Uh, for some, God has a husband or God has a wife for you out there. You know, somewhere in the future. Out there somewhere, there's someone for me that God has for me, right? We think about that. Well, I thought about that when I was a teenager. I wonder who God has for me. She's out there somewhere. You know, the horizon. The apoapsis. You know, and then uh, for others, maybe God has called you to a specific service. And uh, maybe you're wondering, what is the ministry that God has for me someday out there? You know, and uh, for all of us, you know, God has a heaven full of mansions and streets of gold and uh, waiting for us out there. And all of those things are uh, good and good things to look forward to. But don't lose sight of the things that God has for you right here, right in front of you. Because there are many things that God wants you uh, want, wants to do in your life right now. Right here, right now. Not just out there someday, but right now, today. You see, the will of God for your life is not out there necessarily. It is, but it's also right here. Okay, And God is already performing things in your life. But the question is, can you see it? Can you see the things that God is doing in your life right now? Sometimes it's easier for us to look out into the future and hope for the future and hope for what God has for us. And other times, we can easily look back and see the things that God has done in our lives in the past. But what about the here and now? What about in your current situation? Does it seem like God is nowhere to be found in your current situation, maybe your current problem? Uh, does it seem like God is silent or perhaps sending your prayers to voicemail? <laughs> you know, or what about, but, uh, you know, what about the here, the here and now? Does it seem like maybe the best way to describe it is maybe it seems like God is asleep on a pillow or something, right? Does it seem like uh, God is nowhere to be found? Generally, you go through life, you know, doing what you do. 
the way you normally do it, and you don't really give a whole lot of thought to Jesus or where he is exactly, because you know what, you've got this. You've got life, you've got it under control. You know, Jesus is doing his thing, and I'm doing my thing. That's the way a lot of people live their lives. Even a lot of Christians live their lives. I'm going to do my thing, and whatever God does, he can do, but I've, you know, I've got this. We're under control. And uh, when Jesus told the disciples, let us pass over onto the other side, Peter, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John at least were like, aye, aye, Captain. You know, we've got this thing under control. We've been sailing our whole lives, you know, they got the ship ready and got all the things ready to go and set sail, you know, no problem. You know, they've sailed a million times before. They're professional fishermen. They know boats like a mechanic knows cars. And so when Jesus said, let's go on to the other side, yeah, no problem. We got this. And uh, sailing across the Sea of Galilee didn't bother them because, like I said, they spent most of their lives on the sea. They were in their comfort zone if you will. And, uh, you know, the question might have come up, you know, oh, where's Jesus? You know, is he even on the boat? You know, did he ever get on board? And they, oh, yeah, yeah, he's just asleep uh, down below deck. Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. You know, it's, we got this under control. He doesn't know how to sail a ship anyway. You know, it's not like, not like us. You know, if we had to fix a hole in, a, in the boat, maybe him, his carpenter skills can fix our boat. But uh, as far as sailing, man, let us handle that. We've got that under control, huh, guys? And so at that time, you know, you got the guys, they're sitting on the boat. You know, you got two sides of the guys rowing the boat, and the oars were uh, in the water moving right along. You know, the wind is in their hair. You know, the, they, their eyes are straight ahead. You know, their focus is on the horizon, you know, out there. This is where we're heading. What kind of adventures will wait us out out there? And sometimes life is like that. But then other times, uh, life can take an unexpected turn, and you quickly find yourself out in a huge, dark, scary, disorienting storm. And so much for your bright and shining horizon. So much for your hopes and dreams. And you're not you're not thinking about thriving anymore. You're just doing everything you can to survive. Sometimes life is like that. And the idea of expanding your horizons is now completely out of the question. As a matter of fact, your storm is so bad, you can't even see the horizon anymore. Uh, there's no more land in sight. There's no sunshine. There's no stars. There's no nothing. There's just storm everywhere you look. And you don't know if it's night or day. You don't know if you're going north, south, east, or west. It's total mayhem. It's just wind, water, and waves. Have you ever been in a place in your life where it's been kind of like that? Where it kind of feels that way? You know, every time you think you're making progress, the waves just push you right back. You know, you formulate a plan and then something changes and there goes your plan. You know, the wind might as well have taken your life's map and blown it in your face and then it blows off into the wind and there goes the plan for your life. <laughs> you know, that happens. You're expending a lot of energy, but you're getting nowhere. And oh, by the way, your ship is filling with water. <laughs> Great, right? Generally, most of us would behave the same way the disciples did in that situation. You know, we had things under control until we didn't. <laughs> and now that things are out of control, we must do everything we can to get things back under our control, right? And the most important thing to do when you're in a situation like that is to just stay afloat. And the way you do that is by bailing water out of the boat. And I believe the disciples were probably doing that. They said the ship was now full of uh, uh, the storm. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. If your ship was full of water, you know what you'd be doing? Getting the water out of the boat. That's the number one priority at that point, right? 
And I'm not faulting the disciples for that. That's certainly the natural and reasonable thing to do. But why is it that when all else fails, that's when we go to Jesus at that time, right? Uh, you know, Jesus, take the stern. Take it from my hands, you know, and then before you're content with Jesus being your co-pilot who had to sit aside while you made all the decisions. But now that you're in a storm, it's, oh, where's Jesus? Jesus, we need you. And uh, bear in mind that, you know, in this story here in Mark chapter 4, uh, this was the first storm that the disciples had been in with Jesus in the boat. This was the first one. There's a couple of them in the Gospels, but this was the first one. And keep in mind that we know how the story ends. But the disciples had absolutely no concept of how this was going to end when it was happening, when they were right in the middle of it. When they woke up Jesus, they were not expecting that he was going to be able to do anything other than help them bail out water. Think about that. They didn't know what he could do. He can do a few interesting healing things, but what does that have to do with my situation right now? All they were thinking is, get Jesus up. We need all hands on deck getting the water out of the boat in order to survive. And before, nobody really cared what Jesus was doing or where he was. But now these guys, you know, they're second-guessing Jesus. And why is he sleeping through all this? Before, they didn't care. But you know what? Do you ever do that? You know, when things are going good, God is, you know, great. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. But then when you're in the storm, it's like, is there even a God? <laughs> That's how people are sometimes. They question whether God even exists. And if He does, where is He? Right? But the disciples, you know, they shook Him out of sleep and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know, as in, you know, what's your problem anyway? Why are you sleeping? Uh, you know, here, Jesus, here's a bucket. Help us bail out water. We will never get to the other side unless you help us bail out water. The only solution is for us to get the water out of the boat. And that's kind of what they were thinking. Now think about it. If you were in there situation, if you were in their shoes, what other solution do you have at that point? I mean, this was a bad situation. What other solution do you have? Your only hope of survival is to get the water out of the boat. And, you know, forget rowing. You don't even know what, in what direction you're going in anymore. So the best you can hope for is to basically stay afloat until the storm subsides. That's the best you can hope for. And so the only solution you can see is one solution. Stay afloat by bailing out water. You might say that the periapsis of the disciples was simply bail out water. That was the solution, and that was the only solution as far as the disciples were concerned at that time. But maybe the disciples just needed to expand their periapsis. And maybe there were alternative solutions to the situation that they weren't even considering. Remember, when Jesus woke up, they didn't ask him to calm the storm for them. They didn't even know he could do that, right? They undoubtedly asked him to help him perform their solution. Jesus, we need you to help us do what we think is best. We want you to help us bail out water, right? They didn't ask Jesus what his solution to the situation was, because they already knew what the solution was. It was the only solution there was in their mind, and that was to bail out water. They had hoped that Jesus would accommodate and help facilitate their plan that they had come up with. You know, I know how to fix this. I just, now I just need to get Jesus to help me bring my plan to fruition. Right? That's human nature. That's how we are. 
But what if Jesus had something else in mind? Often we see a problem and we conceive a solution to that problem, right? And we work towards that solution and we pray for that solution and we wait for God to grant us that solution. But all that we can see is that one solution to our problem. You think, if only that would happen, if only this thing that I'm thinking of would happen, everything would work out just fine, right? You have a singular solution in mind. And maybe that is the right solution. Maybe. But what if it's not? Have you considered expanding your periapsis? Have you considered that there could be some alternative solutions to your problem that you haven't even thought of before? Are not God's thoughts higher than our thoughts? Right? Is not God able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? Not just our thinking is here and God's thinking is a little bit above it. According to the Bible, God's thinking is exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. So, what if God had a different solution in mind? What if God had a different solution in mind that you never thought of? You see the problem, and uh, you know the problem, the problem is when you only have one solution in mind... Okay, you have one solution. Here's the problem with that. You place all of your hope and faith and confidence in that one solution, hoping that God will do it. And if it doesn't happen, where does that leave your faith? If you've only got one solution. Well, what it does is it leaves you solutionless. It leaves you hopeless. And your confidence in God is often shaken. But it's not that God did anything wrong, it's just that He didn't perform your solution, right? Maybe He didn't perform your solution because He has a different solution. And maybe, just maybe, God's solution is better than your solution, right? You know, your feeble mind could only conceive of one solution. But maybe God has at least 99 other possible solutions that you haven't even thought of for your problem. You know, when the disciples were told by Jesus to feed the multitude, you remember that in John 6, the only solution they could come up with was, you know, go into the city, buy upwards of 200 penny worth of bread, and DoorDash everybody their food. That's essentially, that's how we're going to fix this, you know. Uh, but they were thinking, where are we going to get that kind of money? You know, and if you read in between the lines, if you were there, you'd be thinking, well, maybe one of us could sell one of our houses and take the money and buy a whole bunch of bread for these people. Or maybe one of your th solutions was, well, the 12 of us could go into town and we could work a couple side jobs and, in order to pay for all this bread. Or maybe we could do a GoFundMe campaign or a fundraiser and try to raise the money and try to get enough money to go buy bread so that we can feed these people. In other words, the whole time they were thinking of only one solution. Well, I know what's going to fix this problem. Money. That's what we need. Money. The question is, how are we going to get it? You know, and that's what their mind is thinking. How are we going to do this? And the whole time... Jesus had a totally different solution in mind. And the whole time, the Bible says, he himself knew what he would do. Right? The disciples' solution was, we need more money. And Jesus' solution was, miraculously multiply the little that they had. And that wasn't even the only solution available to Jesus. 
That was something they had never even thought of, but Jesus had plenty of solutions in that moment. I mean, you think about it. You think about the God of the Bible and the different times this particular problem has arisen. Uh, what are some other things that Jesus could, could have done? How could, how could the disciples have expanded their periapsis and considered some alternative solutions to their problem with Jesus with them? Well, one of the things Jesus could have done is He could have rained down bread from heaven, right? He's done it before. We need to feed this multitude. Hey, here's another solution. Bread from heaven. How about uh, bringing quail over? He did that for the Jews in the wilderness. How about having ravens bring bread to the people? That's a solution, right? He could have done that. Jesus could have done that. Uh, Jesus could have turned the rocks into bread. Satan was confident that Jesus had the ability to do that. So Jesus could have done that in that moment. You don't need money, right? Jesus could have turned the rocks into bread. Uh, Jesus could have supernaturally given the people the bodily strength uh, and energy that they needed with no food whatsoever. He did that for Moses and Elijah. See? God has some different solutions that a lot of times you haven't even thought of. With God, the sky is not the limit because God is above the sky. Right? So here in our text, the disciples had no other solution in the passage than to stay afloat. And in order to do that, you know, they thought we need to bail water out of the boat we, and we need as many people helping with, helping with that as possible, including Jesus. So grab a bucket, Jesus, and help us with our solution. That's essentially kind of their mindset. And to the disciples, their solution of bailing out water, you know, it's a logical solution. Makes sense. It's a well-thought-out solution. It's actually the best solution as far as we're concerned. And in reality... As far as they were concerned, it was the only solution. That's it. But when you expand your periapsis and consider that the one in your boat is the Son of the Almighty God, your solution, your little bucket, looks kind of lame. <laughs> you know what you can come up with? Jesus, you know, he says, bail water out of the boat. Really? Is that the best you can think of? Let me think of something. Hmm. <clears throat> Peace be still. <laughs> How's that? How's that for a solution? You know, and the disciples are just there standing in awe. Well, can't believe what just happened with their stupid little buckets in their hand. <laughs> right? You know, 60 seconds ago in their minds, those little buckets were their solutions. Their saviors, the tiny threads that were suspending them between life and death. These little buckets, Right? But what if this was your storm, okay? And in your frenzied panic, you know, you wake up Jesus and you say, you know, carest thou not that we perish? Our boat is full of water. We're going to sink. Quick, I'll row and, you try to, and I'll try to keep us stable. And uh, you take this bucket and bail out water. It's our only hope, Jesus. Come on, let's do this thing. You know, and he, Jesus said, okay, quick, give me that bucket. And you toss it over to him and he grabs it and throws it into the water. You're just like, ah, what did you do that for? <laughs> you know? And Jesus says, we don't need it. We don't need it. And you say, what? Yes, we do. Yes, we did. I, 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 thought, that was the, I, I thought that solution, you know, long and th through long and hard. And I prayed about it even. That was the solution. That was the only solution there was, and now it's gone. And you know, sometimes Jesus will do that. Sometimes He'll take your solution that you're so confident in, and you're putting all your hope and trust in, and He will just punt that thing through the window. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before. I've had that happen before. <laughs> but how do you respond when Jesus doesn't go along with your plan? <clears throat> do you just give up? You know, and yell, oh God, and you jump out of the boat, and then that's the end of you. 
Now you're not, you know, you're just done with Christianity. You quit. Or do you just cut Jesus, uh, cuss out Jesus in your heart? There's some Christians. I, I've, <laughs> I was on a job site one time where a guy did that. He would just, something happened, you know, things didn't go his way. There was, he was dealing with some stress in his life. I remember standing there and he took his hammer and he said, blankety, blankety, threw the thing through the wall, you know, was like, looked up in the air, literally was screaming at God. You know, <laughs> just, man, settle down. <laughs> you know, he needed to expand his periapsis. It's not over. But that's kind of the thing that happens sometimes. You know, a Christian guy. You know, baby Christian. Um, but, uh, you know, do you second-guess God's intelligence in the matter when Jesus doesn't go along with your plan? Do you doubt God's love for you when God doesn't go along with your plan? But the thing is, you do if you only have that one solution. When you only have one solution, your focus is on that thing, and your focus is not on God Himself. And God will often deliberately go with a different solution in order to prove you in order to test you out, as Jesus did with the, with the disciples, when he asked them, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And the Bible says in John 6, 6, And this he said to prove him. He was testing him out. And it says, For he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knew how this was going to work out, but he was just asking the question, hey, how, how do you think we should feed these people? Why don't you get some bread that these may eat? How did Philip respond? Well, he had a limited, limited idea of, what, uh, of how to fix the problem. But the thing is, Jesus always knows what to do. Jesus always knows what he's going to do. And Philip never, ever would have thought in his lifetime about multiplying the bread and fish as a solution. I mean, we probably wouldn't think that way. The twelve disciples never, ever would have thought about the solution being calming the storm by speaking to it. You don't usually think that way. And yet that's exactly what happened. And so you can expand your periapsis pretty big when you focus on Jesus and not on a particular solution. And when you by faith believe that Jesus has a big imagination and can solve your problem literally in a thousand different ways, your fear begins to subside. And your reliance upon your efforts and your plans and your attempts begins to lessen. You realize it's not about this one solution. If this happens, great. But if it doesn't happen, God is still on the throne. Right? And in the storm, you know, out of being responsible, you know, you do what you're supposed to do. You know, you hoist the sail. You know, you got to be responsible. You don't just sit there on your hands. You know, I get that. You know, when you're going through difficult times in life, you got to keep doing what you know to do. You know, and so you hoist the sail in a storm and then it snaps. Oh, man, that, that stinks. <laughs> but no problem. You know what we'll do? We'll go ahead and lower the anchor. Okay, got to just be responsible here. Lower the anchor, and then <laughs> the side breaks off, and there goes your anchor. You say, oh, that's interesting. And uh, they say, well, you know what? Let's go ahead and just uh, start rowing. You know, so you sit down and get ready to grab your paddle, and then some pelican flies over and grabs your oar and flies away. And you're thinking, what? I didn't even know pelicans could do that. I feel like the laws of physics have been violated here. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> you know? And, uh, you, but you figure, you know what? The fact that I don't have any oar must mean that God is dead. No. The fact that I don't have any oar must mean that this was not the solution that God wanted for this situation. He must have a different solution in mind. You say, what's that? That's faith. You say, well, what about Jesus? Yeah, yeah, what about Jesus? 
What about Jesus? Okay, We're talking about expanding your periapsis and being open to different possibilities. Well, how about this possibility? How about this one? What if you chose in your problem, in your situation, to not panic and trusted that Jesus will wake up when He thinks it necessary? How about that for an alternative solution? What if you just let Him sleep? What would have happened? What would happen? Did not Jesus rebuke the disciples after all of this? Right? Didn't He say, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Right? Turn to Song of Solomon chapter 8. Song of Solomon chapter 8 real quick. I think it's interesting to consider these stories and consider the different outcomes of what maybe could have happened. I know it's speculation, but that's kind of what we're talking about this morning is not expanding your horizon, but expanding your periapsis, the thing right in front of you. And in Song of Solomon chapter 8, look at what it says here in verse 4. It says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, until he please. Song of Solomon 8.4. What if you just did that? What if you simply did that? What if you didn't stir up Jesus and shake him up and say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What if you just let him sleep? What if you let him sleep until he wanted to wake up, in spite of the storm going on around you? What if you simply figured, you know what? I already know that Jesus cares about me. I already know that He cares about me, and I am sure that He is aware of my situation, and I trust by faith that He will come through this time as He always has every single time before. Right? I don't know how He's going to do it, and uh, He doesn't have to solve it the way I think He should solve it, but I remember his words back when we were, a, you know, a few hours ago on the land. I remember what he said, and he specifically said, Let us pass over, uh, over onto the other side. And he didn't say anything about drowning along the way. What if you just took him by faith? The Word of God by faith. And I'm not sure how long this storm will last for. I'm not sure how full of water this boat is going to get, and I'm not exactly sure how we are going to make it to the other side at this point, but I do know a few things. I know that Jesus is in my boat, and I am sure that He is in control, even though it doesn't appear that way right now. And so I'm just going to keep doing what I know to do and what is right, and wait for Jesus. I am going to stir not up, nor awake my love, until he please. How's that for an alternative? What if the disciples had done that? Think about it. What if the disciples had done that? They said, oh, I'm going to go wake up Jesus. Wait, 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 wait. Don't do that. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's God. He's the Son of God. He's not going to let us drown. Just let him sleep. What would have happened? Well, I don't know. But maybe, maybe the storm would have continued a little longer until Jesus woke up. Uh, calmed the storm and said, O disciples, great is your faith. 
You know, after he woke up after a while. Maybe the storm would have gotten much worse and the entire ship busted to pieces, right? And then they were all sitting there. I mean, what would happen if the storm had gotten so bad and Jesus was asleep and the whole thing just cracked and broke all to pieces? And then they're all sitting there on top of the waves and Jesus then sits up and says, Hey, good job, guys. I was wondering if you were going to wake me up, but you didn't, even to the point of the ship busting apart. Well done. As a reward, we're all going to go for a walk on the water. Wouldn't that be interesting? You, you have no more ship. Who said anything about drowning? Jesus could have made them all walk on the water. How awesome would that have been? To go for a walk all the way to the, Gadare- the area of the Gadarenes. Is that, another, is that not a possible alternative solution when you have Jesus in the boat? Absolutely. That could happen. Absolutely. You see, when you have a narrow, limited periapsis, your faith is focused on that one solution, but not on God. And consequently, when that happens, you miss out on miracles because God can't even take you that far. God won't suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, according to 1 Corinthians 10.13. But the testing threshold of so many Christians is so small that God can't even get them any farther out than the kiddie pool before they start having a nervous breakdown. And it takes faith to go out into the deep. Turn to Psalms 107 and we'll wrap it up. So, where is your faith? How's your faith? Do you panic in the storm? Can God even take you into a storm? Or do you just have to stay on the seashore? Because the thing is, it takes faith to go out into the deep. And the deep is scary. But you'll see some real miracles out in the deep. And I believe Jesus wanted the disciples to see just what he could do. But they could only see that out in the deep. Okay? So I'll close with this. Psalms 107 verse 23. It says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You're not going to see any of that unless you get out into the deep. You won't see the miracles and the wonders of the Lord unless you get out there where God can show them to you. And then once you're out there, you need to trust God to fix the problem when the storm arises. And know that he is, God has more than one way to fix your problem. So if things don't go the way you expected, don't panic. And if in your life you're getting tossed around in directions that you didn't necessarily plan on or anticipate, don't fret. Don't fret about it. And if your map, you know, goes blowing off into the distance, don't worry. Don't worry. Expand your periapsis. Realize that God has multiple excellent solutions to your situation that you might that you haven't even thought of. And let him bring about his solution rather than you constantly trying to get him to bring about yours. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning and thank you for your word. I hope that this was a blessing to your people. God, I know that we all go through problems, various circumstances and situations. And God, uh, something that might not seem like a big deal to me because I'm not going through it might be a big deal to somebody else. And, uh, you know, everybody... Uh, worries about different things in life and has different circumstances, different fears of the future. And we all face the same temptations. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, this lesson would be a a blessing and a help to us to help us uh, consider that 
there's more than one solution, and if our solution doesn't work out the way we hoped, uh, there are other alternatives. God, you're, you're not out of options. And Father, I pray that with that, we would just focus on you and not on our solution and just trust you uh, regardless of whatever happens, whether our solution that we hoped for comes to pass or not. Help us just to trust you and to know that you know what you're doing and that you're in control. And help us, Lord, to practice not stirring up and not awakening you until you please and to trust that you'll deal with the storm when you feel it's necessary. And so, Father, help us to have that kind of faith. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.